Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast. I'm John Anthony Dunn, and today we're talking further about virtual communion. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, a couple of weeks ago, we posted a podcast about this very question, is virtual communion valid? Today, we're following up further on that conversation and talking more about this situation that we find ourselves in with the whole coronavirus outbreak, COVID-19, and how churches are responding to it, how we are trying to have some semblance of normalcy as churches, trying to think through, should we be taking communion? If so, in what manner? And there have been some responses around the internet to this issue, some of which that we want to try and respond to today and think through a little bit more together. And joining me today, we have a group of Two Cities team members from around the world. We have Josh who is a PhD holder from the University of Aberdeen, and he is a life group pastor calling in from Dallas. How's it going, Josh? Going good, man. We also have Brandon Hurlbert, who is a PhD candidate in Old Testament at the University of Durham. How's it going, Brandon? It's going good, John. Thanks for having me. And we have Logan Williams, who's a PhD holder from the University of Durham, and he's calling in from Durham, England as well. How's it going, Logan? Hey, it's great. Hello from the other side of the city of Durham. And also, we have Chris Porter, who recently received his PhD from Ridley College in Melbourne, and he's currently postdoc at Trinity College in Melbourne. How's it going, Chris? Hey, going well, guys. All right, Chris. So since, since you weren't with us last time for this conversation, we'd like to hear a little bit about what's going on in, in your church in particular, and maybe a little bit more about what it's like in Australia at the moment, and how churches in Australia are responding to this whole situation and thinking through the issue of communion. Uh, so for a little bit of context, I guess, uh, I'm in the Anglican church down here in Australia, and I'm ordained as a priest within the church. So this has been a conversation which has been pretty red hot amongst a lot of my colleagues and a lot of the churches around us, because there is a wide variety of Eucharistic theology in, um, in Melbourne, as there is pretty much in any diocese across the world. But we've been seeing people doing everything from uh, abstaining from communion right through to uh, celebrating communion with via Zoom as people bring their own elements and uh, they're consecrated by a priest uh, over the video link. But in sort of the traditional Anglican form, the advice from our diocese has been in terms of spiritual communion, uh, which is the celebration of communion without the elements being physically present for the recipients. The, the priest will consecrate their own elements and then consume the elements for, for themselves, but not actually seek to distribute them to their congregation. And instead, there is a, um, a, ser- a service or a, a liturgy for uh, spiritual communion, which involves the uh, reception of it in, in faith and the feeding on, on, on Christ in, by faith rather than physically. Given that we recently had this conversation where we dove in to this whole question, trying to think through this issue from a theological standpoint, from a practical standpoint, should we be taking communion together in isolation, which of course sounds like an oxymoron to take it together away from each other. What are some of the things, Brandon, Josh, Logan, those of you who are part of this conversation previously, what are some of the things that you all are hearing from staff at church, from people online? I know, for example, there have been some publications recently about this issue. What are some things that you all are hearing about this? Yeah, John. So a couple things. 
in uh, I'm also in the Church of England uh, as Brandon uh, as Brandon and Chris and Brandon and I got a email from our bishop uh, the Bishop of Durham who not us personally but a bunch of people all the, all the churches got this email from the Bishop of Durham saying that we shouldn't take communion by ourselves because that would be quote confusing indeed and mm. I'm not. I'm not sure. I resonate with this reason. I. I think I to put some to put some more theological backing on this. I'd say first and foremost, if it is against your conscience to take communion when you're not gathered physically, then absolutely by all means don't take it. But I have a hard time seeing really robust theological reasons to abstain from communion indefinitely during this time. And I'll I'll bring up uh, a recent article that was published by the Gospel Coalition as a kind of foil to my view. So uh, there was a recent article by TGC arguing that communion cannot be taken over virtually. And some of the arguments were to the effect of this. Well, in Corinthians, it says that when everyone gathers together, that's when you take it. And when you all gather together, then it makes the many one. So the quote from this article it says the lord's supper enacts the church's unity consummates the church's oneness gathers up the many who partake of the same elements together in the same place and makes them one so skipping down a bit so to make the lord's supper into something other than a meal of the whole church sitting down together in the same room is to make it something other than the lord's supper so it's not the case that a virtually mediated physically dispersed lord's supper is less than optimal it's simply not the lord's supper uh, now, this is, of course, the precise op- opposite of what I said last week when I mm-hmm. said, think of terms of less ideal, more ideal. Right, right. <laughs> He's operating, this author is saying, you know, either it's, it's not just suboptimal, it's completely wrong. Now, and now just to take these points uh, one by one, I think we can actually see there is a really robust way we can take to get to the possibility of taking communion virtually. First of all, if the Lord's Supper enacts the church's unity and consummates the church oneness in a, in a, in a real substantive way, do we therefore have to admit that without the partaking of communion during this time, the church fails to be one? I would say we definitely should not deny that. So the notion that because the Lord's Supper enacts unity, therefore you cannot take communion virtually, I think ends up having really problematic theological implications. Second of all, we have to be specific about what we mean when we say the word gather, right? So uh, the point is that during this time when we take communion, it makes many who gather together one, many mm. who are individual people who are distinct from others in many important ways. But in, in this meeting and in, and in this event, this sacrament, they, are, they become one or uh, they reinforce their oneness or however you want to think about it. I think actually, if we think of gathering on Zoom as a way of making all of our individual selves you know, come together for a meeting... I think that is not radically different from saying that people who are, you know, utterly distinct people can become one. All we're adding into the distinction now is location. Right. So every other way, we are different from one another when we, you know, take communion together. We're all very different people, but we take communion, we we partake in in the same sacrament and, and we become one. Now, the only new predicate that is added to this situation is there is now a difference in location. And I fail to see why if we think that, you know, the Lord's Supper makes many who are different one, if that difference can, one of those differences can be location, why is it specifically off limits to make one of those differences location is what I, is what I basically want to say. So um, I would say that there's a real meaningful sense in which the church can gather 
over Zoom or Google Hangouts, whatever, and all take the elements at the same time. Now, of course, it's suboptimal, but I don't see why that cannot be seen as a real gathering. If it's not a real gathering, then why do it at all? Mm-hmm. Um, there are people who gather on, you know, over Zoom or Google Hangouts or whatever, or over Skype to do these things and to celebrate and to, you know, sing worship together. Why is it if if those are, if those events are completely invalid, also, then then why do them? But obviously, the fact that we're doing this indicates that there is something important about us all coming together and watching the same screen at the same time, as mm-hmm. weird as that sounds. But I fail to see why a difference in distance now completely makes us unable to gather in any sense. I do think there can be a sense of a gathering, even if it is digitally medi- mediated. Hey, Logan, uh, Josh here. As I'm listening to what you're talking about, did they make any distinction between uh, being part of the body of Christ already and then gathering together as a special occasion celebrating? oneness or did the distinction really sound like that was one of the ways we become one i mean i think this author would probably agree with you but it's just that's not how the wording was phrased so there's something special about the communion yeah i mean it says it does say it gathers up the many who partake of the same elements together in the same place and makes them one it's just interesting that it's it seems like kind of arbitrary postulation to say that this is they have to be in the same place and, and also, it, it depends on what you define as location. Can everyone coming into the same Zoom meeting be a location which people enter? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say in a meaningful sense, yes. I think that is echoed in the Anglican communion service. I mean, we, when you break the bread, you say, we who are many are one body for your share in the one bread. Um, there is that sense in which there is the many grains are formed together to make one bread, and therefore the body of Christ is formed together. But I wonder whether or not there is actually something that is to some degree impaired with virtual presence. The fact that we're, we're spread across 16 hours of time zones in recording this, uh, it doesn't mm-hmm. obviate the communion that we have together, the fellowship that we have together. But there is mm-hmm. something that is tangibly different to the, when I can walk into an office and chat to colleagues or when we all meet up at conferences mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, another thing that I find really interesting in these conversations is what did, what to do about churches that have, you know, overflow rooms or, you know, they have like kind of a, a nursing mother's room in which they are, are hearing the worship and participating in the service through a screen, even though they're at the same location. They're, they're still at the church. They're still in church. They're just in another room. And their whole experience of the worship or very practical reasons about either there not being enough chairs or there being a parent with a, with a young child. They're experiencing the church service and the reception and partaking of communion in a mediated form. And I don't think anyone would really, they, they might say that's suboptimal, but they, I don't think many people would say that's wrong. And I think the situation that we're in is actually just kind of one step further that we can't meet together. And we can't, you know, here in England, we're uh, like most places, we're on kind of lockdown, if you will, and we're not able to gather with anyone outside of our home. So it makes this kind of communion question of like how we can take it and whether we should take it really important for us as we kind of continue and going further into this uh, season of not being able to gather physically. 
I think yeah, I think that point about not being able to gather physically is helpful in light of what uh, Logan said earlier, Brandon, about you know a Zoom meeting being a kind of space that we can gather into. And you know, when you think about like the ancient world, think about when Paul wrote First Corinthians, for example, when he talks about the Lord's Supper the way that he does, there was no ability to have a synchronous translocal gathering at all. Of course, we live in a world in which we can have synchronous translocal gatherings like we're doing currently via Google Hangouts right now, right? And so I do think that's a real important thing to keep in mind that there's a kind of limited use of the idea of gathering perhaps and how we are like Logan was pointing out and how we are thinking about this, because I I do think that uh, there is a sense in which we are gathered now. Obviously, yes, it's not as ideal as if we were all hanging out at SBL or something like that. But nevertheless, we are together right now. And I do think that there is something in this exceptional time that we're living in. I do think there's something helpful for thinking about church and even communion in the midst of all of it. Yeah, I think as a helpful criterion, we can ask, are we in any sense right now over Zoom or Google Hangouts rather gathering? And if you say yes, then I do think that there is a meaningful sense in which the criterion that we must be gathered in order to take communion can be fulfilled in a radically suboptimal way, but in a way that can make communion valid and real and meaningful, dare I say, a means of grace those who partake uh, of it together. Yeah, Logan, I, I totally agree. But what happens when people listen to this podcast later, when they listen into our conversation? Are they a part of this communion? And if so, in what way? Or is it, you know, are they not as involved, you know? This is where the waters get way muddier than they already are, obviously. I mean, I assume that what you're asking is if you take a service that was pre-recorded and the vicar or priest or whatever takes communion, but he did that yesterday. And then everyone in the church takes communion when it's broadcasted, but then some people actually take it a couple hours later because they slept in and want to watch the live stream a bit later. Are you asking, like, if everyone takes communion at different times in different places, then, then again, is, is it a real, in a real sense, any kind of gathering? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, I think that's something I'm getting at as as our church is beginning to pre-record services. Um, I, I think it just one of the another question to throw into the ring of what do we when we talk about uh, mediated presences and its and their validity. There's something. There's another question that comes about when we talk about recording something and playing it back later, or uh, maybe there's someone that's not from your church is able to kind of watch a playback of your service you know in what way are are they meaningfully involved in your service these i, I these are just the things yeah. i've been thinking about as i've been trying to think through all this stuff yeah well i mean at least brandon as you know in our church we even make it seem as if we're all actually interacting with each other on our separate videos so someone does intercessions and then when it goes back to the person leading the service they say oh, thanks, Mary, for your intercessions, even though they didn't hear what they were and won't know what hey, they were. We're just uh, doing so, our best here. <laughs> yeah, but it's just <laughs> me that like yeah. we kind of, we attempt in a way to give the semblance of real interaction, even though we all know this is not what's happening. I think one of the interesting things here is as 
a priest, like where it's incumbent upon us to to what we call fence the table, to know the hearts and the lives of our parishioners, so that uh, we can duly administer the sacraments in a worthy fashion. And so, one of the challenges here is actually if it is transtemporal, so not even just translocal, but transtemporal. How is it that we can know the hearts and and the lives of our parishioners in such a way? Because if we don't even know who we're administering or who the sacrament is being consecrated for. I think that's a really cool point, Chris, Josh, talking again. Um, When I'm looking at all these articles and reading these different things and responses, one of the big things that I'm seeing is missing is understanding what the Holy Spirit's up to and how, how he's bridging the gap that we could perceive as as something of less quality, how he's bridging the gap between us in in places and areas and how he does that all over the place and all over time. And it and it makes me think about the faith that a priest would would need to have to know it knowing that they would give the communion or the blessing and consecration online in Zoom and knowing that they're responsible for their people and having to just trust that God is up to something and even though they can't be with their people, he's He's the one that's doing all that work. He's the one that's judging. So it seems to me like some of these opportunities that we're talking about, we're constantly saying lower quality, suboptimal, all these kind of different things. But I think what God's doing is bringing out theology, bringing out different aspects of our faith that we have to get stronger at, that we really have to trust Him in, no matter what kind of tradition we come from, because it's things we haven't ever faced before. Uh, And rather than kind of mope and go, oh, this this sucks compared to what we could normally be doing, be asking the question, what is God up to here? What is he teaching us through this process? What is he teaching his people? And how do we need to understand his presence that bridge the gap, bridges the gap over the digital realm and all these kind of different things? Yeah, Josh, I think that's a really good point. In Jesus' absence, we have his real presence. Uh, and so I guess in some ways, even in our absence together, we have a real presence uh, with each other. The thing, one of the things I find interesting with this is that, I mean, in Australia, it's only been about two weeks that most people have been doing online services. Many of the churches I know have, have rushed straight to doing or to, to enacting uh, sacraments online, even some talking about how you might be able to baptize someone uh, via Zoom, but not doing a whole bunch of listening and not doing a whole bunch of thinking about the theological questions that, that are behind it. I've seen a lot of people rest on authority and, you know, like church authority or past traditions and things like that and just say, you know, spiritual communion is this and there's been allowances for it. So this is what we're going to do. And uh, hopefully when we're all through with this, we won't have to think about it anymore is kind of the perception that comes across. Like when we get through this COVID virus stuff, then uh, we can just get past all this and get back in each other's presence again. I think there's a danger in that because if God's up to something, if he's doing this, if he's forcing our hands and our minds to be thinking about this kind of stuff, there's something that will have long-term effects from how we understand our theology right now, what communion is right now, how it's um, done in a digital realm, done over space and time in different places, that's going to be kind of cemented into our DNA and we're going to walk out of out of this time period with a deeper understanding or or just I don't know. That's the that's the weird part is like what what are we getting? What are we going to walk out of this on the other end? Just in relief, going, oh, we're back in each other's presence. Or going, hey, I learned something different about what God's up to. How this is all working out. That'd be my question. Yeah, and the ultimate fear is that people are just like, nah, let's just 
keep church online forever. You know, it worked for a few weeks. So, uh, you know, why go back? Which is really unfounded fear, right? I mean, even even when we're sitting in Zoom calls and things like that, my perception has always been like, hey, this is this is cool that we're even able to meet right now, but I can't wait to be back in your presence. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's um yeah. That that's the hope that we that we regularly acknowledge how suboptimal this time is, even though you know, even while doing our best to mediate preaching prayers and music and um, you know, inter alia uh, to each other digitally. When I lived in LA, I knew a lot of people who, you know, went quote unquote went to church digitally, i.e., you know, on Sunday mornings they just listened to some worship music and then like watched a sermon from their church. And they were really convinced that that, you know, sufficed. And uh, I do I do fear that maybe more people will lean into that tendency by you know, getting so comfortable with, you know, being able to watch a, a service whenever you want digitally. I, I kind of think that too. But then, but then at the same time, I look at what happens in a church service on a Sunday morning. When you think about the congregation, the core, all that kind of different stuff. And if the people that are in the church service that just show up, just show up for a kind of a fast food type service, you know, got my worship kick in this week and they're not really part of the community anyway. They're not really tangibly involved in it where it's changing their lives or they're making relationships. I mean, it's almost, I know it's not, for me, I would say I'd rather they'd be in the presence at the church for the possibility of that happening, but it's almost like those same people have the same amount of buy-in. They're there that morning and they would be out there digitally. Yeah, but I think at least then you have the, the option or the possibility of there to be real relationship that is formed. Yeah. Um, Good point. Whereas when people are, are just sitting and consuming at home, it really buys into the consumer model of our society uh, rather than uh, the participatory model of the church. Brandon, I'd like to punt something that you pitched to me earlier. But to clarify my position, my position is that I don't think being physically apart totally bars us from communion. The specifics on what happens and, and what, I, what, you know, how, how that works and how that should work, whatever. I have little to no opinion or anything that's well formed. But Brandon, I'd like to hear your any kind any kind of theological approach you have to taking communion at different times when services are pre-recorded and watched at different moments. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think uh, kind of returning to what uh, Josh was saying about the the role of the Holy Spirit. I think that's in this crazy weird time, and I think almost all of us are doing church ministry in some form or fashion that we have to constantly keep returning to that God is with us in this time. And uh, he is working even sometimes when it doesn't, we can't really see him working or it doesn't feel like it. He, he is working. And um, I think that's, I take great comfort in that uh, as we kind of work really hard and be really creative in this time. Ultimately, you know, it, God is going to work and do uh, what he wants. And so I'm, I'm really thankful for that. That's a good reminder for me, Josh. So thanks for that. I think in when, it, when we think about taking communion at different times, I think a good analogy is when you hear preaching. Obviously, when you are preaching and you are being recorded or you're, you're you know, preaching for a congregation, like, like a normal, you know, typical church service, you know, you're preaching for them. You're going to preach for them at that time for certain people, you know, uh, hopefully, uh, God is at work in your sermon and in your prep, and um, he's going to put things and people on your heart to really speak to. And when that gets recorded, now the time has passed, that word of the Lord, right, for these very specific people and these this very specific time, that time and those opportunities, they have passed. 
But that doesn't mean that they can't continue to speak in fresh ways and fresh context via, uh, you know, someone listening to a recording. You know, I mean, I think there's been many times where I've listened to a sermon or I've listened to a message 10, 20, 40 years from when it was first spoken. And it still has an impact on me. It still uh, can speak to me. And so I think in a similar way that if we recorded uh, a sermon uh, or and we recorded a, a Eucharistic service and someone were to take the Eucharist while watching a service that has already gone by, I think there's enough grace in God that uh, would allow that person to experience uh, the risen Christ. I think there's mm-hmm. enough room, in, at least in my thinking in my theology, I think there's enough room to say, I don't know if I would prescribe that and just tell people to watch old services, much like I wouldn't tell them to, oh, watch, la- don't come to church this Sunday, just watch last year's sermon series. It was really good. <laughs> you know, like I would say, you yeah, know, keep, keep being involved. But I wouldn't want to say that, oh, no, there's no way you can, you could act, you could, you know, there's no way a person could really experience the risen Christ through this means. The, the closest example that I can think of to what you're saying is in Paul's letters, in his opening and closing bits, which we usually ignore, but I think there's something very theologically important about how he opens and signs off his letters. He opens his letters most Amen. of the time saying, grace to you, and then he closes them saying, grace be with you. So by the time that whoever is delivering, delivering the letter reads the beginning and the end, there has been a mediation of grace. So he says, grace to you at the opening. The re- they read the letter, and then the end of the letter says, grace be with you. And Paul penned this, you know, weeks and weeks before. And yet he thinks that when that letter is read out loud, it mediates grace to them that can remain with them, even though it's read afterwards. So I think there's a really helpful analogy there that suggests that grace can be mediated through perceiving or experiencing things that have already been produced, such as video sermons, and maybe even if we are saying it, videos of people taking communion. Yeah, I think one of the interesting things there is if we uh, do treat the letters as circulars, then it's not even that the letters are, the grace is being extended to those who are explicitly addressed, but there must be some form of mediation to those who are receiving or having the letter read to them uh, in a circular fashion. It's not, it's not just a one-to-one direct relationship or even a one-to uh, single congregation or single city, but a, a one-to-many. I guess also depending on your theology of, um, of Scripture, then that's, that grace is similarly mediated to us, uh, the, the recording and the writing of those letters. I think that's a really great point. And to put even a, maybe a little bit more of a finer point on it, we might also have a homily in our New Testaments in the case of Hebrews, right? Which is kind of ha- has an epistolary inclusion to it, but, you know, might be an example of an early Christian homily, right? Uh, as, a, as a sermon, you know, canonically preserved for us. I think that's a, another great example of, of what we're talking about, this kind of trans-temporal communication there is able to communicate grace and to speak afresh in different contexts as well. So I think that I think that's a really great great way for us to think about uh, this dynamic. Yeah, and and even when we think about, you know, the Eucharistic liturgy that's common in a number of traditions, we in a sense reenact and 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 say again the words of scripture. Uh, and you know, we hold this breath, you know, this is the body of Christ broken for you and this is the blood of 
of the new covenant poured out for you. You know, we are we are repeating the words of scripture that are said, you know, over 2000 years ago. But in that in that moment, it be, it is it is meaningful for us. In that moment, if something happens. Uh, I, don't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but something happens and we get to experience the risen Christ, even though we are saying words that were never spoken to us, words that are 2000 years old uh, and weren't, quote unquote, addressed to us. And so even in our even in our liturgy, we are participating in something that's mediated. Even even in the liturgy, though, we're we're invoking the name of Christ and, and we're. We're doing we're we're walking in step with what the Holy Spirit is about, right? Like the revelatory aspect of his role in in the economy of the Trinity. He's bringing these things, he's witnessing, he's test he's testifying, he's revealing things that have already been revealed, things that are going on in the body of Christ already. And that's that's a unique, a unique understanding of like how our relationship with with the Spirit and with the Word of God, when when these things are evoked when these things are said he's up to something and that grace comes with that and the recognition of it it's it's a very cool thing yeah josh and to to come back to something you said earlier about reflecting on what the spirit is doing and what god is doing in this new period some of the things that i've been hearing from friends who are suffering from mecfs or other reasons why they can't actually get to church a lot of the time uh, is that there is still the sense of, of which grace is brought to them and this is going to be a middling position because uh, I guess uh, they still have that all of those same graces, that same grace and the same mediation to them without the sacrament whatsoever. But perhaps this is a new way of being able to bring the sacrament to them. But I was reading Life Together recently because I was starved for uh, human mm. contact. Yeah, uh, and uh, I'll just quote quote part of this from uh, Life Together. Uh, Bonhoeffer writes. Uh, it is by God's grace that the congregation is permitted to gather visibly around God's word and sacrament in this world. But not all Christians partake of this grace. The imprisoned, the sick, the lonely who live in the diaspora, the proclaimers of the gospel in heathen lands stand alone. They know that visible community is grace. They pray with the psalmist, I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and thong- songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. But they remain alone in distant lands, a scattered seed according to God's will. Yet what is denied them is a visible experience they grasp more ardently in faith. Uh, I wonder sometimes if we do run uh, so quickly in, in extremis to, these, to a position of giving people a visible experience, what do we lose in them being able to grasp, grasp things more ardently in faith, to use Bonhoeffer's term? All right. Well, this has just been a really wonderful conversation following up on our discussion from last time. Thank you all for being a part of this and helping to clarify some of these issues, especially as it pertains to translocal gatherings and even trans-temporal gatherings and thinking through all of these issues that we've not had to before. I really like what you read there, Chris, by Bonhoeffer and thinking about that grace, the grace that it is for us to gather together visibly, but then thinking about those who are not able to do so. Even when we were able to do so regularly, we still had those among us who were not able to do so. And just being mindful of that uh, more readily, I think that's one of the things that is coming out of this is there's some new sensitivities that are being awakened in us. And I think that's really, really helpful. So thank you all for joining us today. Cheers.
If you'd like more engagement of theology, culture, and discipleship from the two cities, you can find us on Facebook or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com.